Good morning and welcome back to Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane. And oh my gosh, guys, I'm excited about this month. So this month, I'm going to be reading to you out of a physical book. So you might hear some page turnings, but I am reading the book Suni and the Dragon by Shirley Rousseau Murphy. Now, the reason I'm so excited about this is um, Miss Murphy is still alive. And so I reached out to her and she very graciously gave her permission for me to read this to you guys on this podcast. And this is a book that I used to read to my campers when I was a camp counselor. I would have them for roughly a week. So it was six nights and the book contains three stories and I would break them down into half and read half of a story a night. And so that's what I'm going to do this month. We have five Saturdays, so we are going to get one bonus episode at some point during the month. I'm not going to tell you guys. It's going to be a surprise. But we are going to read all three stories from Suni and the Dragon. And so this morning, we're going to start with the first story, which is actually titled Suni and the Dragon. There was a young woman named Suni, whose old aunt died and left her alone in the world with no more to keep her than a broken-down wagon, a decrepit old mare, and a hound dog. Suni was sixteen and beautiful, with skin like peaches and hair like autumn leaves, and she could dance and sing and tell stories, but she had never learned to make her living. Now here she was with the mare to feed and the hound to feed and herself to feed, and no one to help her, and no roof over her head but the leaky wagon. What to do? She felt frightened indeed. The world seemed very large without her old aunt to provide for her. Still, she had herself and the hound and the mare, and maybe she would think of something." Well, she saw that her aunt was buried all proper, and Suni put flowers on her grave. Then she set the mare on good grazing, cooked up some bacon for the hound, and took a look at the wagon. She had never noticed before how ramshackle it was. She had been too busy dancing and singing and telling tales to the village children. Now she saw that its wheels were wobbly, the aunt having kept it in one place for twelve years, and its paint was all gone and the wood beneath cracked and the little glass windows too dirty to see through. There was a leak in the roof with a bucket under it, and the whole inside wanted scrubbing. Well, Suni set about to make things right, and she thought as she worked that when she was done she would hitch up the wagon and be off. Maybe she would travel the wide world over. Somewhere out there among cities and wonders, she felt sure, there would be a splendid way to make her living. She tightened the bolts on the wheels and greased them and replaced three spokes using tools she found under the bunk. She swept the wagon and mopped it and scraped off the old flaking paint and fixed the leaf in the roof with tar and shingles and washed the windows and aired out the bunk and polished the pans till they shone. And then, in the village, she traded half a day's work sweeping and cleaning for seven pots of paint and a paintbrush and she started in to paint the wagon. The hound dog watched her painting, and he was impressed. The mare watched her painting, and she was amazed. 
Suni quite liked it, too. She painted the wagon all over with flowers and birds and leaves and animals, so it looked like a summer day in full bloom. The spokes were red and the tongue was red and the trim around the windows was blue, and it was a grand fine wagon indeed. Then Suni traded half a day's work in the village scrubbing and sweeping for some flower sacks to make curtains and patch the old quilt. And she put some daisies in a vase and gathered wild roots for supper and caught four fish in the brook. Well, after supper she mended the harness and tended the mare's hooves and groomed her, and the next morning they were ready to start out. So down the lane they went, with the old mare in the shafts and the hound trotting between the front wheels, and it was a bright, clear dawn with dew on the grass and larks in the sky and badgers looking out, and Suni was as happy as she could be. When she came to a village where the smell of new bread wafted round her like heaven, she sang a song for the baker cunningly, and he traded her a fresh loaf and two stale biscuits that she gave to the hound. Suni's singing drew a crowd in the village. The folks all ran up to listen and to admire her bright wagon. She smiled and sang to them merrily, saying, There were three gypsies come to my door. One sang high, one sang low, and the other sang bonny bonny biscuit, oh. She sang until she grew hoarse, and she earned herself a barrel of flour, five spotted eggs, a jug of milk, and some lard. Everyone waved and smiled as Suni drove away down the road. Well, she drove through valleys and meadows where fat sheep grazed, and she came at sunset to the kingdom of Brent. A grand city stood there with a gate of finely wrought iron. Suni drove right through and halted in the city square. She thought she would sing a song to earn some pot meat and maybe a potato, for she quite liked singing for her keep. So she set the mare to grazing, fed the hound, then looked around the square at the folk who had begun to gather and stare. But what was this? These were not smiling people, the kind she had seen in the village at noon. There were frowns on all the faces and looks of grim unhappiness. Why, the place was as glum as a wake. Well, perhaps a song would cheer them. She sang, Cockles and Mussels Alive, alive oh, and then A Roving, A Roving, and Robin loves me, Robin mine. Robin would have me wed him. But the frowns only deepened. People seemed to grow frightened and began to leave the square. At last, Suni was quite alone. Was her singing as bad as that? She had never been told so before. Then she saw the king's soldiers riding up and thought she would sing for them. She was about to sing out when the sergeant reined in his horse, his scowl as dark as winter. You are not allowed to sing. No singing is permitted. It's against the king's wishes. And if you don't get out, you'll be locked in the dungeons till you're too old to cackle. He gave her a nudge with his sword that made Suni fly into action. She harnessed the mare and called the hound. But before she drove away, Suni asked with terrible curiosity, why is singing not allowed? What is the matter with singing? What is wrong with a king who won't allow songs? 
Why does everyone here look as grim as the spirit of death? These folks could do with a cheerful song if I ever saw folks who could. It's because the princess was stolen. The princess artist had a sweet, sweet voice, the truest in twenty kingdoms, and she sang every night in the square. She was stolen from the square while she was singing on the night of the April full moon. A hundred soldiers died in the battle. Gloom has reigned and no singing has been allowed since. The king, he said, scowling deeper. The king offers a reward of a hundred acres of fine land and a hundred gold coins for the return of the missing princess. But of course, he said, a tear touching his cheek. There is no use in that. The princess artist is dead. There is no question about it. It is a fact that the dragon ate her. Suni felt shocked for the princess and sad for the king, and took herself out of there as fast as she could through the fine gates, before she should be locked away in prison until she was too old to cackle. She drove the mare fast up the road through the lonely, empty land. The afternoon light deepened. She thought of the dragon and shivered. Was he out there in the hills somewhere? Well, maybe the dragon only ate princesses. Suni camped by a brook, put the mare on good grazing, fed the old hound, caught some crawdads for her supper, and sat watching the sky darken into night. Then, as she ate her meal with the hound at her feet, she heard a great noise outside, a noise like something slithering and huge, and then a horrible roaring. She heard the mare scream, then run off, and could imagine the broken rope. The hound's hair stood up along his back, and his bark was deep and furious. Suni looked out through the little window and saw the dragon there, as dark as sin and as big as a mountain, and heard him roaring again, and then Suni heard something else. She heard, between the dragon's loud roars, a voice that was muffled but a sweet, sweet voice singing. There's a circle of lilies in Eden's garden, and the larks sing round it beneath the stars. Then the dragon roared again, so Suni heard no more. When the dragon had gone rampaging off across the hills at last, Suni went out into the night and caught the old mare in a tangle of briars and tied her up again. Then she went to bed with the hound across her feet, and lay remembering the sound of the sweet, true voice, singing of Eden's garden. Suni went on the next morning through valleys dotted with fine cattle and across a river and through a wood, and came at evening to the kingdom of Conti, with an elegant city that had gates of carven stone. She went right through into the square, thankful she would not spend the night alone with the dragon prowling and snuffling. People gathered to stare at her wagon, but the faces of all the folk were as sad as a wail at midnight. Much, much too sad to sing to. Well, she would try dancing for them. Perhaps she could make them smile. Perhaps she could earn a bit of fresh pot meat and a sprig of parsley or an onion. She had eaten up all the eggs and milk and glad she was to have them. 
So she set the mare to grazing and gave the hound a bite, then took up her mouth-harp and made a tune and began to dance a wild, jigging reel that was half clowning. The crowd drew close and a child or two grinned, but the rest stood stiff and scowling. Soon they had all slipped away, leaving poor Suni alone. She wasn't alone long. Sure enough, here came the king's soldiers riding. They were dressed in purple livery, and their swords flashed sharp. And Suni stopped dancing and sighed, and waited for the captain to speak. His voice was like blowing sand. "'Dancing is not allowed. Take yourself off at once, young woman, or you won't be alive by morning.' Suni harnessed the mare quick as she could and called the old hound. But before she drove away, she asked boldly, "'Why?' Why is dancing not allowed? What could be the matter with dancing? The captain swung his sword full in her face and made his horse rear as he shouted, The dragon took the princess Blanche. She was the finest dancer in twenty kingdoms and used to dance every night in the square. The dragon took her off while she danced a tarantella on the night of the May full moon. A hundred soldiers died trying to save her. Dancing has not been allowed since. The king offers two hundred head of fine cattle and two hundred gold coins to anyone who can bring her home again. But of course, he said, tears on his cheeks, that is no use. The princess Blanche is dead. There is no question that the dragon ate her. His battalion thundered up behind Suni's wagon then and nearly pushed it out through the fine carven gates and onto the lonely road. Suni went up the road fast and didn't stop until she was among the farthest hills, and the night was dark around her. She put the mare on grazing close by the wagon, made a supper of bacon and biscuits, which she shared with the hound, and was not surprised when she heard the dragon thrashing and roaring outside. The mare screamed and ran off. Suni looked out to see the dragon's dark shape, huge as a mountain. And she listened. Tonight, Suni could hear no singing. Oh, the dragon's roar was terrible, and his fiery eyes shone in the moonlight. Then, Suni saw with surprise that the dragon's great stomach was heaving and bouncing. And when she listened, she could hear the music of a mouth harp coming from inside the dragon's jiggling stomach. And she thought, Someone was dancing in there. When the dragon had gone, Suni went out into the night and caught the old mare and tied her. Then she lay in her bed with the hound across her feet, remembering the dancing music and wondering. She went on the next morning through fields of bluebells and clover and past meadows tall with hay, then past pastures where fine horses grazed. She came at the evening to the kingdom of Dune, and its glittering city had gates of bronze formed into the pictures of saints. Should she go in? Well, she badly wanted some fresh pot meat and maybe a cabbage or two. She drove the wagon through and found the fine square with statues in it. She set the mare to grazing and fed the hound and watched folks gather with faces as long as a winter night and twice as cold. They stared at her bright painted wagon. Nothing, Suni thought, nothing would thaw them. Not a song, not a dance, 
and besides, she'd had bad experience with both. Well, maybe a story would do. So she beckoned the little children near and began to tell a tale of such wonder and joy that the children's faces shone. But their elders scowled deeper still and soon dragged the children away. The square was empty. The king's soldiers came riding. Soon he said before the general had time to speak, I know. You're going to tell me that I cannot tell stories and I must get out of here before dark or my head will hang on a pole. No, said the general, frowning. Your head will not hang on a pole. You will be drawn and quartered and fed to the hogs if you do not leave here at once and take that ridiculous wagon and those mangy animals with you. But why? Suni said crossly. Why must I? Telling a tale is a harmless thing to do. She waited to hear his answer, though she guessed well enough what it would be. The general went red with fury at Suni's impertinence. The princess Camilla told tales as no one in the world can do, and she told them every night in the square. But the dragon carried her off at the full of a summer moon. On that June night, a hundred soldiers died trying to save Camilla, and now tale-telling is forbidden. His horse reared over Suni and his spear shone close. Suni harnessed the mare in a terrible hurry and called the old hound. The whole battalion reared and surged around her as she drove the mare out through the fine brass gates onto the lonely road. There, she turned and asked boldly, "'What is the king's reward for the return of Camilla?' The general looked so furious she thought he might chuck his spear at her, and he answered in a voice like freezing wind, the king's reward is three hundred fine horses and three hundred gold coins, but what do you care? What could you do about it? Camilla is dead. My poor Camilla is cold stone dead. We all know the dragon ate her. Suni drove off into the gathering dark, thinking hard, and camped at the foot of a mountain. She tethered the mare and shared cold biscuits with the hound. She had hardly finished eating when she heard roaring and slithering and looked out to see the dragon snuffling around. The mare screamed and pulled away as before. The dragon pushed at the wagon as if he would like to get in. His stomach did not jump tonight, and soon he heard no singing. What she did hear beneath his roaring was a gentle voice rising in the telling of a tale about a tailor a bread-box, and a white rose. When the dragon had gone, Suni caught the mare and tied her, then lay in her bed with the hound on her feet, thinking and puzzling. Suddenly she leapt up again and pulled on her cloak and rushed out into the night. She untied the mare and jumped up on her bony back and galloped off in the dark toward the fading sounds of the dragon. She followed his roaring and snuffling, riding hard, and the old hound followed her. And I'm going to leave it there for you guys. So you're going to have to tune in next week to see what happens when Suni confronts the dragon. I hope you enjoyed the first half of this first story from Suni and the Dragon by Shirley Rousseau Murphy. And again, thank you, Miss Murphy, for allowing me to read these stories to my listeners. I greatly appreciate it. 
I also have another exciting announcement. As of this month, Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane is being produced by Lantern Audio Works. So, if you would like access to full stereo versions of these recordings, as well as full stereo versions of our podcast, Punks in the Library, and Jay Sullivan's podcasts, Brimstone and Old Bob, as well as any other new projects we have coming out, please consider going over to our Patreon and supporting all of our projects there. That is patreon.com forward slash lantern audio works. Thank you guys. I can't wait to continue these stories. enjoy this podcast and would like to connect with me further, you can find me on Instagram at Celosia Crane underscore author. Link is in the show notes.